I'm Eric Fingerhut, and this is The Glue, the podcast where we talk about the things that hold our communities together in a world that's so often driving us apart. Now, this is, of course, not the episode we intended to bring you today. Everything changed on October 7th when Hamas brutally attacked Israel in the worst terror attack in the country's history. They murdered 1,400 people, took over 200 hostage. They killed innocents systematically and in cold blood and committed atrocity after atrocity. The attack showed a barbarism, a lack of humanity that we're still struggling to comprehend. It shattered the sense of security Israelis had developed over the years. And it has brought us to the precipice of a wider regional war. Though of course, we hope that will not happen. I was actually here in Israel uh, on October 7th celebrated the evening before the Jewish holiday of Simchat Torah, the celebration of the ending of the reading of the annual cycle of the Torah and beginning anew. We danced with the Torah. It was awoken by sirens at 6 or 6.30 in the morning, received a call from my colleague in Israel to tell me the seriousness of the attack. Over the next couple of days, I was in Israel until Thursday. We began to understand the depths of what happened, but even then probably didn't fully comprehend the full barbarity, the the atrocities that were committed. I went back home on Thursday of last week to organize our fundraising campaigns and our solidarity rallies in Washington, D.C., and then came back here this Tuesday and Wednesday, and in the interim, truly the reality of what happened here, the 1,400 deaths, the massacres at the concert in Kibbutzim, and the upcoming very dangerous war had fully sunk in. And you can feel the pain every step you take here in Israel. While I was home, We held a breakfast caucus fundraiser to take stock of where our campaign is at. It's really extraordinary what our communities and federations are doing. Uh, But at the end of that caucus, Rabbi Elka Abrahamson, the president of the Wexner Foundation, gave a benediction. And in it, she talked about how she had been visiting her mother, who's a Holocaust survivor and who's in her mid-90s. And she tried to describe to her mother what had happened here in Israel. And her mother's one word response was, again, recognizing these atrocities as precisely the same atrocities the Nazis had committed against Israelis planned torture, planned mass murder. And of course, it strikes us all deep to the core because our promise to this generation and to the Jewish people was never again. We wouldn't allow it to happen again. And yet it has, and it has happened on the soil of the state of Israel. How do we rebuild our community? How do we restore the promise of never again? How do we hold ourselves together in the face of this devastation? To join me in that conversation to help us understand, I have two of my incredible colleagues that I have the privilege to work with every day. Becky Caspi, who is the uh, 
director general of our Israel office for the Jewish Federations of North America and our senior vice president and frankly, one of my closest advisors and colleagues and co-workers in this endeavor, somebody who I respect enormously, and Aaron Goldberg, who represents uh, the second or third largest Jewish community uh, in North America in their Israel work, the community of Los Angeles, the Los Angeles Federation. Aaron is one of the most experienced professionals on the ground and also someone who I look to every day for advice and guidance and how we move forward. Together, let's talk with Becky and Aaron about the glue that can bring us back together and enable us to recover from this tragedy. So let's just jump in. Becky, Aaron, thank you for joining me on this special uh, episode of The Glue and for making time in the midst of all the incredibly important work you're doing and taking care of your families. So before we get to how our community is responding, I know this has to be impacting each of you personally. Uh, just say a word about how you're dealing with this uh, personally, how your families are, uh, so that we can we can be with you in that moment. Aaron, why don't you go first? It has been a challenge in a lot of different ways, both uh, personally in our inner circle of family and kind of our broader circle of friends and, and, and acquaintances. I have three younger children who are feeling the anxiety of sirens, of the threats of terrorism. We try to prevent them from seeing the news. We try to prevent them from being exposed to the visuals of what we've seen of the tragedy from the South. We try to shield them from the threats that we face, from the possibility of infiltrations of our own community, the things that really make us nervous day in and day out. But we also share the pain and discomfort of our friends and relatives who have really suffered tragedy over the last two weeks, and whether they've lost loved ones and colleagues, family and friends who have had relatives abducted into Gaza by Hamas. And it is, it is stressful. And in many respects, work actually provides a welcome outlet to look at and deal with other people and to try to extend existence and maybe shield me on a daily basis from really settling to and thinking about it day in and day out. You know, it's not a simple question. Um, all the time you pick up the phone or you, you start a meeting, somebody says, how are you? And it took me time, but my answer is a simple one. Um, I'm, you know, they, we're not okay. My family and I are not okay, but we're safe. So we're lucky. And, um, I think we're all carrying with us pain that is so deep and so wide. And we don't yet know the limit of what I suspect is going to end up being unlimited sadness over what's happened here. And let's be very clear, we're two plus weeks in, but we're not done, and the end is not yet in sight. As everyone knows, the Army is um, preparing for whatever the massive response will be uh, in Gaza, and whether that's uh, a land incursion or something else. And there are free more and more frequent forays and testing by Hezbollah in the north, 
We have 200,000 Israelis who are internally displaced, people who are out of their homes, some who, uh, you know, we're now setting up the first tent city, but there are going to be more because we're out of hotel rooms into which we can move friends and colleagues. It's not something that's happening far away. Every person I speak with, every person I meet has been impacted. As Aaron shared, it's either a son or a daughter, a parent or a grandparent, a brother-in-law, a colleague, someone I went to high school with. No one has, re no one has come through this unscathed. And you know, when I think about my own family, and I want to come back to that place that I hold on to so tight, we're lucky. But my eldest daughter has three very little kids, three boys under four, and she and her husband have uh, split up and taken, uh, her husband has taken the two older children to his mother's house where there's a safe room that they can sleep in. She's at home with a five-week-old sleeping in their safe room. The facilities aren't big enough in either place for everyone to stay safe there. Um, I have a son-in-law who's a war correspondent, so he's up mostly on the Lebanese border, um, and that's scary. And his wife, my daughter, uh, when she can, is coming to stay with us just so she's not alone. And uh, I have another another kid, and, and he and his girlfriend are each doing what needs to be done uh, and fulfilling their commitment to this country. So we haven't been together. We can't always talk to each other. And as you know, Eric, and you know, I, I won't say I'm working around the clock, but I think I've been averaging days that are 18 to 20 hours since this started. I'm working Shabbat, which I don't do, but the need is just that great. And when I can get a few hours to try and catch some sleep, I can't turn my mind off. And I know that um, I'm not alone. And I'm not complaining because I'm a lucky one. So, Becky, of course, we launched the, this Israel emergency campaign. We have a goal of over half a billion dollars. We've already raised over almost $400 million. Give us some sense of where that money goes. Sure. Um, and right now we're still in the urgent response phase. So we're seeing money go to uh, replenish emergency medical supplies, bolster our hospitals, which have taken in and cared for numbers of wounded people that really are unprecedented. We're helping feed people who've been displaced and get them into housing. And you know, I, I think you'd be hard pressed to find a hotel room anywhere in Israel today because of all of the, uh, the people who've had to evacuate who are now living there. We're beginning what I know is going to be a massive investment in trauma care. We all keep making the mistake of referring to what people are experiencing as PTSD. Nobody's post anything right now. The trauma is acute and active and widespread. We've had to help launch additional hotlines. We've had to help make materials available to people who speak Amharic and Russian and Arabic. And you know, this is a very uh, multinational, multilingual place, and we need to make sure that people know how to access care and help. One of our most beautiful and poignant programs is in partnership with the Jewish Agency for Israel. It's called the Fund for the Victims of Terror. And in the aftermath of an attack in those first hours, day or so, when you're reeling and you may not be in your home and you may have had to flee without your pocketbook or your phone or anything, and you need to buy a pair of glasses or 
get some prescription medicine or maybe you're a family member who needs to come and visit someone in hospital and, and that's uh, you don't have a car, you could take a taxi. So I think just trying to answer the most urgent, basic needs of helping people get to shelter, have something to eat, be safe, take care of our wounded. And we are very, very acutely aware that the mid and long-term needs loom in front of us. And so our planning group, which of course includes Aaron and you and other excellent and talented colleagues from both within federations and beyond, so we're trying to get lots of good input to make sure we do this and invest these precious funds in the best possible way. Uh, we're looking into the future when we know uh, we're going to have another big lift to take care of. You're both in a unique position because you're part of the Israeli community response, communal response, and you're also working with the American Jewish community as part of their response. Becky, you and I yesterday went to a funeral of a soldier who actually went to high school with my son in Washington, D.C. at Charles E. Smith Jewish Day School. He was a year ahead of my, of my son. I absolutely should say the name of Omer Balva of Blessed Memory, the soldier whose funeral we attended yesterday, and extend condolences to his parents, Sigal and Eyal, and his siblings, Barak, Shachar, and Rai, and and just say that he is a hero of the Jewish people and his memory will be blessed forever. You know, he came back to serve and he was in the north and he was hit by a rocket. And so they were live streaming back the funeral back to Washington, D.C. I was texting with my son who thanked me for representing him. And you're standing with me and Israelis all around how do we think about how community comes together, both in form, just without formal structure? I mean, that funeral, there were hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people. They couldn't all have known that family. In fact, I'm sure most of them didn't know that family. So there's the informal coming together. And then we're organizing formal community, communal response, raising our goals, half a billion dollars. I'm sure we'll raise more, determining Aaron, you and Becky, where are the real needs? How do we deploy those resources in the most effective ways? So there's sort of informal community and formal community. What's the glue that holds all that together? I think the glue is the community itself. And it's the, it's the basic humanity of the people that we encounter. You know, this we're we're talking about this barbaric attack and what is unfolded here as if it's a uniquely jewish story there were 30 thai workers murdered in the attack people who came to support their families and make a better future working in agriculture on the border there are arab citizens who have died there are people abducted from many, many different countries. This was an attack on humanity. Of course, Israel took the worst of it, and the Jewish population, which is the majority, has the deepest tally of loss. But we are not in this suffering alone. So I think for me, first, it's coming together 
as human beings, trying to find a way, uh, one person to another, to offer comfort and care. I am, uh, you know, one of the privileges in my position is that I sit at a juncture unlike any other. I represent the North American Jewish community in Israel, and my phone, my WhatsApp, have not stopped since the morning of Shabbat, October 7th. And I am talking with senior military leaders, senior figures from the intelligence community, from the business community, from the philanthropic community, from the government community. And I'm talking to people that I met once at a conference or um, who went to school with one of my kids because I think the glue is the eye-level connection we are all maintaining with one another. So whether somebody is calling because they have a systemic issue that they're trying to address, um, or because they have one person who needs one very particular kind of help, they're getting to the same points of contact, and they're getting the same level of care. The majesty of a system in which the three of us work that can solve big, big problems effectively, quickly, and well, and can talk to and bring comfort to a single person, that for me is sustaining, it's inspiring, and it glues me to my screen, to my phone, and to my chair for many, many more hours than I ever thought possible. Thank you, Becky. Um, Aaron Goldberg, what's the glue and tell us maybe something about how you also connect to your Los Angeles community. You know, I listened to what Becky says, and I think she says it so exquisitely in terms of our connection to humanity and what this means and how it touches so many people in so many different ways. And I'll add to this the, the Jewish connection for a moment. I've had people from Los Angeles that I've met over the last 10 years our volunteer leaders, community members, rabbis, children, people who are Jewish and people who are not Jewish, who have been on missions and experienced Israel with us, who have reached out feeling the agony of a country that knows how to come together in a time of need. About three months ago, we had a, a mission of non-Jewish educators from all across California who came and while they were here, they visited the Moshav of Nativ Asara in the northern border of Gaza, a community that suffered the tragic loss of 20 of its members when the terrorists came and struck them down. And every day, for two weeks, asking about their well-being. Are they the people that we met? Is there anything we can do to help them? How do we care and provide support for that suffering and mourning community? And I think it's one example of, I've had friends, people that I haven't spoken to since I finished high school that have reached out to me and said, we see what's going on. Tell me how you're doing. I have a, a friend who's a policeman in Sterot who lost seven or eight of his comrades when 40 Hamas terrorists overtook the police station. And he was saved by one who was then later killed. And when we went to visit the Sheba Medical Center just last week, I met one of the policemen, one of the, uh, um, one of the commando police uh, units. He was injured during that battle to retake the police force. 
and eliminate the terrorists who are there. I think our glue is the fact that we have one boat and we're all in it together, in good and bad. You know, sometimes today it's hard to think about that just three weeks ago, there were hundreds of thousands of people protesting in the street. There were questions about the divisions in Israel, about the future of democracy, about the future of what we want this country to look like. And it was tearing Israel apart from inside, and it was creating tremendous pressures within the American Jewish community as well. And in the snap of a finger, or maybe more accurately, in the shot of a bullet, or the bringing down of the border wall, or the explosion of a grenade, we have come together in a way that is unparalleled, that treats our community as one. And I think what we are all fighting for at this moment, the war is not with Hamas, of course it is. The war is not just to project Jews at home, and of course it is, and we'll talk about what it means, anti-Semitism today in our communities as this war continues. But the real war that we're fighting is reestablishing that very basic promise of Israel, that it can provide security and safe refuge to Jews who live here and Jews who live everywhere around the world. That's the war that we're fighting today. And that's why I think we're seeing this incredible energy and outpouring of support because people understand what this is really about as a Jewish community, as a Jewish world. So uh, Becky and I were this afternoon at the Expo Center in Tel Aviv. And Aaron, similar to your comment about three weeks ago, the protests, so a few more than three weeks ago, but only a few months ago, Becky, you and I were, and I assume Aaron, you were there too, at that same Expo Center for our General Assembly, the largest convening of our year. Uh, and there were thousands of protesters on the walk outside of the convention center, banging drums and blowing whistles and trying to get our attention and protesting the government. Today, you and I were there and there were thousands of volunteers inside organizing the community to respond to the needs. How did you feel today being back in that same place in such a different moment? I'm almost ashamed to say how good it felt to be there. Because maybe I feel a little, bil a little bit guilty feeling good about anything right now. But I can counter that by saying, last night I really felt despair. And, uh, you know, for our listeners, I think it's important to say, this isn't like any other war or operation we have seen. This is an existential moment for Israel. And none of us know how it's going to play out. And uh, after two plus weeks, it got to me last night. And um, a little bit of Ted Lasso helped. I felt a little guilty about that too, but it really helped. And I just said, no way. The work is too big. The need is too great. I'm going to get up. I'm going to do it again. After a long four and a half hours of sleep, there I was. And you and I got in the car and off we went. And it was remarkable. It was inspiring to see the quiet organization. The Everyone had a purpose. I don't know what they were doing, but I mean, we were in the high-tech hub within this massive center, which has a warehouse and an underground parking lot that used to actually have cars in it two weeks ago. 
And the entire convention center has volunteers building systems and packing boxes and getting things where they need to go. And, um, and we had the privilege of meeting with the people who formed that center and uh, are the leaders, I mean, not just of Israel's tech industry, but of the global tech industry, of the financial community here in Israel. And, you know, they sat down and they talked to us eye level. They analyzed the situation. They helped us with some strategic input. Aaron, we've got to catch you up tomorrow or the next day about what we might as a federation community do in the mid and long term, because finally, two plus weeks in, the urgent, critical humanitarian needs are beginning to come well under control. There are a lot and they keep evolving, but, but we're in much, much better shape. And now our, our eyes and our hearts and our minds and our funds are going to turn to what it's going to take to recover and rebuild from this unprecedented, horrific attack. And so I felt amazed and inspired and good and energized and ready, uh, along with you and Aaron and all of the thousands and thousands of people we work with here and back home in North America, ready to go a lot more rounds to get Israel back where it needs to be. What's amazing to me is, you know, this war is happening in phases. And so I think we have this initial stage of just complete and utter heartbreak of the immediate loss of so many people that it's hard to cope with and understand the full scope. You refer to the funeral you went to. It's one of so many that continue to go as they identify the victims and it goes on. I think we're going to go into this extraordinary period of healing over the next several months as well, which I think creates incredible opportunities as a Jewish world and as Israel as a country to think about what healing looks like and how do we take that forward. Of course, there are all the components of resilience and dealing with trauma, but healing in a much broader sense, much bigger sense as a Jewish community, and hopefully we can get back to that and, and talk about what that might look like, an opportunity presents as a global Jewish people and as individual communities. And I think there is a story of heroism that is just this incredible storyline of people in the first days who went to save their families from kibbutzim, of people who have turned organizations, Eric, like you just referenced, who've turned organizations and infrastructure from pointing in one direction, 180 degrees in the other direction, to help bring the Israeli people together. Of medical professionals who did not sleep for days to help over 4,000 people who were wounded over the first week of the operation. These heroes have come out, and these heroes are everyday people. It's not the person that is a general, and it's not the person who's a politician. It's the thousands and thousands and thousands of people who flooded the streets to volunteer, extend a hand, to pack a food basket, to bring materials. And I'll say even more, and we're discovering and seeing it, the heroes are also in the American Jewish community. And they have come out in droves, mobilized community like we haven't seen in years to provide support for their Israeli brothers and sisters, to be there financially, to be there with material goods, to be there with emotional support, as we've all just talked about how important it is individually for our, for our, our mental well-being. And these are the heroes that are really going to take us into this period of healing, who are saying we want a future that is different 
than we just experienced. We want a future that looks dramatically different, that brings the American Jewish community and the Israeli Jewish community and Israel together in a different way than we've experienced over the last number of years. Um, I think this is what, if there's a point of optimism, a point of light amidst the tragedy of this whole story, this for me is one of those storylines. I think there are a couple of others, um, but I think this is one of the major ones that we need to grab with both hands and say, okay, how do we do this as an American Jewish community? How do we do this as local Jewish communities? And how do we do this on the level of the state of Israel and global Jewish communities? I want to point us in that direction to wrap up this conversation. Um, earlier, Aaron, you mentioned the rise of anti-Semitism in America. And even though we've seen this extraordinary outpouring of support for Israel, including President Biden and, and others, we've also seen anti-Israel protests. We've seen horrific uh, examples of hatred on, on college campuses, outright support for Hamas and for the massacres. And I have to say, as uh, you know, as the as the uh, all three of us were born American Jews, but I'm the only one who who still is uh, living in America. Uh, I have to say that if you, for the first time in my life, if you asked me if somebody had an opportunity to do in America, God forbid, what they were able to do in Israel, that they probably would. Because this was a massacre of Jews. This wasn't a massacre of Israelis. This wasn't about Israeli policy. Um, Aaron, you said something about, you know, we need Israel to protect the Jewish people, but Israel didn't protect the, you know, the Israelis in this case. So we're, we are in the same boat. Uh, and I, and I, I guess that, uh, my question is, what, what what can we do together? What should we do? We're raising funds for sure. We're going to make sure that that um, that uh, Israelis have the support they need through this terrible period. We're we're mobilizing in our communities to to make sure that the support that we've initially experienced sustains itself, even as this war goes on. We call it our it's the largest community mobilization campaign in the history of the certainly of the Jewish Federation system, the Jewish communities in North America. But still, that's just to get us through this period. Uh, what is that long-term reconnection uh, that we can experience together that will enable us to see a future that's different than what we're experiencing today? You're asking a very, very big question with so many possibilities. I think the first part that, like I said, to me is inspiring is I feel like the American Jewish community said, Hineni, I'm here. We're standing with you. If there were questions before about uh, a rift that was deepening between American Jewry and Israel or um, a distancing that was taking place, I think the American Jewish community said, that is not the case. We are here. We're out. We're with you because it is an attack against the Jewish community. It is an attack against Jews. It's not Israel. Hamas didn't ask whether somebody was reform, conservative, orthodox. They came in and they did what they did because this is the Jewish state and Israel represents. They didn't ask nationality. Whether they're Thai or they come have dual nationality with the United States or with Europe or anything else. And so you're right that the crisis exists because Israel didn't do, and it didn't fulfill its promise of protecting Jews. And I think that's why I said in the very beginning, for us, 
the real war that we're fighting today is about reestablishing that promise of Israel for Israelis, for Jews, and Jews who live in Israel. So I think the first piece for me is that we see a renewed appreciation and understanding of the connection between Israel and the United States. That's something we have to celebrate. It's something we have to honor. I think it's something we have to uh, nurture very carefully, like it's been done with so many in so many ways over the decades. But I think this is an opportunity for communities also to reach out to their local governments and to do and ensure that the advocacy that needs to be done to develop those relationships, maintain those relationships, help them understand what is indeed happening here, even with other minority communities, to make sure that those relationships are there moving forward. I think there is a new, uh, a new opportunity for the government of Israel to say, we have, you guys have stood with us, Hineini, now it's our time to stand with you, and we will be there in lockstep to ensure that communities are safe, to ensure that you travel freely, to ensure that our young people are coming to the American Jewish community to develop their own Jewish identities in the way that we send Jewish young people to Israel to help develop identities and develop relationships. Those connections are more important now than ever, and we need to nurture those as we move forward. And I think as a community in general, I see it in my own uh, community in Los Angeles, we have invested millions and millions of dollars to ensure that our institutions remain safe through a community security initiative, that we work with synagogues and camps and day schools and institutions that are identified as Jewish to ensure that the Jewish community infrastructure is safe and free of interference or free of threat, that people can feel Jewish, exercise Jewish practice in any way that they see fit, exercise Jewish community in any way that appeals to them, and ensuring that they are safe and secure and do it openly and with the beautiful love and commitment that they have to the Jewish community. Aaron, I learned a lot from your answer, and I really appreciate it, um, especially since you really went high. I think you took it largely to a communal-communal, government-to-government uh, level, and I accept and agree with everything you said. I think Israel could never have hoped, even, I think, for the level of support that the American president and the American government and the American people have shown. And that is our most vital strategic asset. Let's not kid ourselves. Uh, those two carrier groups along the northern coast are signaling a signal uh, that we hope will be a deterrent for much and, and keep us safe from a much worse scenario that could bring the whole world into this uh, situation. And I want to take Eric's question to a more personal place and say, I hope that the humbling of Israel and of Israelis that has happened and the reckoning that will surely come will help us all enter into adult conversation. You know, because I live on this seam line, like you do, Eric, like you do, Aaron, I have lots of people always telling me what the other side needs to do. They should just do this. And um, I think that more than one layer of our beloved Israeli arrogance is probably peeled away, and the vulnerability that we have experienced and that we feel so deeply right now 
will hopefully allow us to reconnect both within Israel, uh, Jews, and all of Israel's citizens, and with our Jewish brothers and sisters in the United States and all around the world at eye level. And I think for many, and, and I really feel for them in the American Jewish community, particularly uh, on the left, in the progressive camp, they, have, they are very confused and lost and conflicted about how things they believed many of them to be true have actually played out. And let's make no mistake, the kibbutzim and moshevim that were attacked on Israel's southern border, these were the hubs of our peace movement. You know, there are people kidnapped in Gaza who drove Palestinians from the border crossings for treatment in the hospitals, in Israel's hospitals, who um, stood up for the cause in a way that, you know, caused them to take great criticism from many in Israel. And they paid a price and uh, that they never expected to pay from having really tried to do good and, and to repair our world. So I hope that we all set aside some assumptions that we may have made before about the other and the context in which we live and others live, and we find a way to connect and listen and work together. You know, Israel, the foundation of the state of Israel was a global Jewish project, one in which we all work together. We set aside petty differences. Yeah, they were there, but we had a cause. We knew what we had to do. And I think it's, you know, we have to rebuild this. And I hope that we can again come together as a nation and as a people and make that miracle feel as beautiful and wonderful and rich as it did just two and a half weeks ago. Well, there's really no good way to end this conversation, but that I think is as good as we're going to get. Uh, so uh, with that, I will bring to a close this special episode of The Glue. Um, and I want to thank especially uh, two really wonderful colleagues. You all now know, listeners, how fortunate I am to work every day with Becky Caspi and with Aaron Goldberg. The Glue is executive produced by Neve Ellis and is produced by Mary Rose Madden. Look for our next episode in about a month. To make sure you don't miss it, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts and leave a review. It helps other people find the podcast. If you have any comments or feedback, please write to us at podcast at jewishfederations.org. Of course, there are many ways you can play a part in being the glue that holds your community together. Uh, please contact your local Jewish Federation. Uh, you can find out how to do that at www.jfeds.org backslash the glue. I'm Eric Fingerhut, and we'll be back soon with another episode of The Glue.